Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Happy New Year, like Michael said. It's, this is always a time of the year where traditionally we take some time to kind of reflect, right? Reflect on last year, look into this, this coming year that we're now into, and it's a time where many people make resolutions or set goals to be healthier. We kind of reprioritize, refocus our lives on what we value. It's where we all uh, join gyms in January and then forget to go by February, right? Isn't that? Um, and, you know, you might not be big on New Year's resolutions. I'm not particularly big on them, but I do think there's value in taking time to reflect with God and just say, hey, God, what are, are you inviting me into something new this year? Are you inviting me into something more this year? Are you inviting me into something less this year? Right? I think that's, that's helpful. And it's probably no surprise to many of you, but one of the most common resolutions or goals or however you want to think of it year after year for Christians is to spend more time reading the Bible. You know, our lives are crazy. They're busy. They're hectic. And it's so easy to get out of those routines. This, this past week, we sent out an email. I hope many of you got it. Uh, that uh, where, where we sent out an email with about different Bible plans um, that you can have access to, uh, PDFs that you can download and print. If you want a hard copy of some of those, they're on the info counter if you just want to grab one of those. Also different Bible apps that you can get and to have, that have plans on them. And so you might be thinking, this is the year. I'm going to do it, right? I'm going to do it. I've got my I'm going to make a commitment. I'm going to stick with it. I've got my plan. I've got my, my Bible. I'm, I'm going to make it a priority. And maybe you, maybe you start off really well. You start off in Genesis and you think, this is good. Like I'm, I'm reading these stories. They're, they're good stories. They're, they're engaging stories. And then maybe you're doing well and you move on to Exodus, right? And it's all about Moses and let my people go, right? And it's like, I, I'm tracking with this. And then you get to Leviticus. Have you ever read Leviticus. I mean, I mean, Leviticus is all these weird rules and laws, and it's like, don't drink blood, and you can't trim your sideburns, and you, you can't mix your fabrics of clothing together. It's like, that, that's the only reason why, you know, I didn't wear my cotton shirt and my polyester leisure shoot today. That's the only reason, because I want to be biblical. Uh, but, but, but you get to that part, and you think, okay, you've, you've lost me. Maybe I'll, I'm, I'll, maybe I'll try again next year, right? I'll try again next year. You know, it can be tough. Reading the Bible can be difficult. Why, why is reading the Bible sometimes difficult to read or understand? Well, a couple of things. First of all, it was written by about 40 different people from 40 different perspectives, with different styles and genres spanning over 1,500 years at least. So it, it, it's no wonder it can be a challenge at times to understand what we're reading. But just because something is difficult doesn't mean it isn't worth doing, right? In fact, in fact, in life, most of the things that are worth doing are difficult, at least at first. You know, and that's why we're gonna spend this weekend and next weekend talking about how we study the Bible. It's important. It's important. And it's important for a couple of reasons. One, because... Studying the Bible is one of the main ways, one of the main ways that we get to know God, who he truly is, what he's like, what his character is like, and not only that, what he says about us and how much he loves us and how much he cares for us and the promises he has for us. 
And the second thing is God also promises that it will positively impact our lives. It will make a positive impact in our lives to, to read and study the Bible. Joshua 1.8 says this, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it and then you will be prosperous and successful. There's this, this, this idea, this truth that if we're spending time in the word of God, that it will have a positive impact in our lives. It will have a positive impact in our lives. And I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. It's gonna be kind of like our anchor quote for this weekend and next weekend. It's this, a Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. Think about that. A Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to somebody who isn't. A Bible that's been read so many times, it's highlighted, it's underlined, it's marked up, it's the corners are folded over, the bindings falling apart usually belongs to somebody who isn't. And we might need to modernize that a little bit. Maybe it's how many clicks has your Bible app had on it, right, this year, if that's, you know. But, but when we are regularly reading and studying the Bible, we are spending time with the creator of the universe, the creator who made you and made me and, and knows us. And, and that is going to have a positive impact in your life. It just is. So, so it's important. And we know the what. We know we should read it. We know we should, we should get into some sort of plan. We should spend time reading it. But the question is then how? How? You know, I got my Bible reading plan. I got my app. I'm sitting down and trying to do that as regularly as I can. But how do I study in a way that it's effective and, it, and, I, and it's fruitful and it's impactful in my life? Over the next two weekends, today and next weekend, we want to, that's what our goal is to kind of talk about, the how. And we're going to talk about 10 tools, 10 tools that we can kind of put in our Bible toolbox, if you want to think of it like that. I know that's cheesy, but um, like, 10 tools of how to study the Bible in the most effective way. We'll talk about five this weekend. That's kind of like part one and five next weekend, part two. And we actually have handouts. We don't usually have handouts, but if you, if you want a handout, they're in the back. If you didn't grab one coming in, you're welcome to take one of those um, and grab one of those. But, but let's just kind of dive in and talk about what are some of those, those, those first five of those tools. But actually, let me pray first. So just come Holy Spirit. Lord, we just, I thank you for today. I thank you for everybody who's here in person, who's online. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that as we look at, at these tools, that, that something would, would hit us and stick. Something would really sink and land in that would help us understand and, and how to read your Bible in a more effective way. And it would just come alive. That reading the Bible would just come alive. For some of us, it's just grown dry boring over time. And I just pray it would come, this would be the weekend it starts to begin to come alive again, Lord. Pray that in your name. Amen. Amen. So the first tool, the first tool actually has nothing to do with the Bible. Well, that doesn't make sense. The first tool actually has nothing to do with the Bible. It has everything to do with you. It has everything to do with me. It has everything to do with the reader of the Bible. And that's acknowledging our bias that we need to acknowledge our bias, that every individual person has a unique experiences, right? Every individual person has a unique way of seeing the world. We have a unique upbringing, education, relationships, experiences, all these things add up to forming each person in a unique way to give us a unique way of seeing the world around us. And that impacts how we interpret everything around us and creates in us biases, 
or the tendency to have biases and the potential to respond out of those biases if we're not aware of them. Let me, let me give you a personal example. So I have lived my entire life in central Ohio. I've never lived like more than 30 minutes outside of Columbus. And so I, like many of you, have grown up a huge Ohio State fan. Like just a huge Buckeyes fan since, since I was a little boy, as far back as I could remember. Not only that, my family has a huge legacy at Ohio State. I, I, my parents both met at Ohio State. They were both, uh, both went there. My grandfather went there. I have three great grandparents that went to Ohio State, actually. One of which played football for the Ohio State University. And a hundred years ago in the very first game ever played in the horseshoe. So we have a huge history at Ohio State. So it's no surprise when I became you know, a senior in high school and I started thinking, it really, I really didn't have to think too hard. I went to Ohio State, fourth generation Buckeye. And I have told my kids, hey, I've, I got three kids. You can go to school wherever you want. You can go to college wherever you want. The only thing I ask is it has to start with the word the. That's it, that's all I ask. It has to start with the. Um, that's not true. But, um, but so I'm a big fan, like many of you. But I have family in that state up north. I have family from Michigan. And my cousins, they've lived their entire lives in Michigan, grew up Wolverine fans, uh, went, went there. My one cousin, he went there uh, and he's a lawyer now. I'm just saying, I don't know what that says, but um, no, he's actually really awesome, really smart guy. But so, so he's, a bit, he's a huge Wolverine fan and that makes sense, right? This, his upbringing shaped that. And so every November when our two teams play against each other, right? Whenever there's a questionable call or a close thing, do you think we see it through the same lenses? No, not at all. We have very different biases when it comes to our teams, right? And it's all fun and games when it's a sport like that, but, but we got to be careful that that doesn't, isn't how we approach the Bible, right? That it doesn't impact how we re-reference and and, and pull out what we pull out of the Bible. Derek Morphew, a Vineyard scholar wrote this, no interpreter or Bible reader lives in a vacuum. None of us live in a bubble, isolated from the outside world. And so it impacts how we interpret and read the scriptures. And so we all have biases. And if, if we go to the Bible and we just focus on the verses that we like, and the parts that, that fit our perspective, right? And we kind of ignore the uncomfortable parts or the parts that might challenge our thinking, then it's gonna skew how we interpret the Bible. This is something called reading into the Bible versus reading out of the Bible. Reading into the Bible versus reading out of the Bible. Let me explain. If you, if you open up your Bible and you end up in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, you'll eventually get to chapters 12 and 13. And one of the things he talks about there is spiritual gifts, that God has given us all these spiritual gifts. And one of the spiritual gifts he specifically talks about is speaking in tongues, okay? Now, depending on your life experiences, that is gonna determine how you interpret that passage. If you grew up going to church or if you didn't grow up going to church, if you did grow up going to church, what kind of church did you grow up in? It's gonna determine how you might interpret that section. If you grew up going to a church that was a cessationist church, which means that they believe that the more supernatural gifts 
uh, only existed back in the early church with the early apostles. And since then they've ceased, hence cessationism, they've ceased to exist. Then you're gonna read that section, just kind of blow through that whole part about speaking in tongues. Like not really important anymore. It doesn't happen anymore, right? But if you grew up in a Pentecostal church, you're gonna have a very different perspective of that passage, right? You're gonna, you're gonna look at that passage. You're gonna think, well, this is super important. Like speaking in tongues, that's a sign you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Right? And so that needs to happen for you. You need, to, you need to get that spiritual gift. Or maybe you grew up in a church like the Vineyard. Right? You grew up here where we believe in all of the gifts. We value all of them. We think they're all important. But we don't, we don't elevate one as more important than another, including speaking in the tongue and speaking in tongues. It doesn't make somebody a greater than or lesser than Christian, whether you have that gift or not. If you didn't grow up in the church at all, you might read that passage and say, I have no idea what this is talking about. and I'm just moving on, right? But each individual reader has a unique perspective or bias in how we interpret scripture. And we need to acknowledge that. We need to acknowledge that bias. Otherwise, we can go into the scripture and we can look for and hunt for verses that kind of prove our perspective, that prove our point of view or our worldview of how we see the world, Right? And we can make it fit into our way of thinking. But instead, we're, we're called to do the opposite of that because that's called reading into the scripture. Instead, we're called to read out of the scripture, which means we go to the Bible and we say to God, God, help me not to project my perspective onto you, but I want you through the scriptures to shape and mold me to align with your way of thinking. When we acknowledge that we all have biases and we're open, we're open to being teachable by the word of God. And we don't try to make the Bible fit our perspective. That's when it has the power to transform us and to change us. And if we aren't gonna be open to being teachable, then really the rest of the tools we're gonna talk about are kind of pointless because it all, it all starts with that. So we have to acknowledge our bias. That's the first one. The second one is, is using multiple translations using multiple translations. So if you've been a Christian for a long time, maybe somebody gave you, right when you became one, gave you a Bible and they handed it to you and they said, here, read this. And you thought, oh, okay. What you might not have known is that not all Bibles are exactly the same. That there are different translations of Bibles. Maybe it was an NIV or it was a King James or it was the New Living Translation or one of the dozens and dozens of other English translations that we have. Because the Bible wasn't originally written in English, but rather it was written in Hebrew and Greek and, and some Aramaic, it has had to be translated into our language, into English language. And so why is there more than one English translation? And are some translations better than others? Well, different translations have different goals. They have different goals. Some are meant to be more literal, more word for word, and some are meant to be more paraphrased or kind of idea for idea. And then some are more kind of dynamic or in the middle. So if you want to throw up this diagram here, it's a, I apologize, it's a little blurry and it's a little small. You got to get out your binoculars to see the middle here. But, uh, but we're, this is showing different types of translations. And it's not all of them by any means, but, but these are some of the more common English ones. So on the left side, you'll see abbreviations like NASB, New American Standard Bible, King James, English Standard Version. These are more literal word-for-word -word translations, 
Okay, And that means that the translators here, their goal was to take the Hebrew word or the Greek word and swap it out for the exact or closest word, correlating word that we have for in English, which is great. That's a, that's, a, that's a wonderful thing to do because when we read it, we're gonna get the closest thing to what the original writer meant to say, right? But the cons, the cons of literal translations is that they can sometimes feel a little choppy it can sometimes feel a little difficult to read or understand because the way we speak today is not the same way that people spoke a thousand years ago, right? 2000 years ago, whatever. Like it's just not the same. And so sometimes it can feel a little choppy. Now on the opposite side of the spectrum, on the right side, we have more paraphrased versions, things like the message or the, the living Bible, right? And their, their goal is different. Their goal is to more translate, that's an idea, like idea for idea, so they're, they're kind of doing the opposite and, and have opposite pros and cons as a literal translation. They wanted to make it as easy to understand where they take the idea that their original writer had and try to put it in more a modern way of thinking. But it's not gonna be exactly word for word as it was in the original languages, okay? And then there's translations in the middle like the NIV or New Living Translations kind of a little bit kind of in that range. Uh, where they're trying to find kind of the both sides, right? Kind of be somewhere in the middle, more dynamic. And so I know what you're thinking. Some of you are thinking, this is way too nerdy, way too much information. So just tell me which ones to read, Andrew. <laughs> just, just tell me which one to get. I'll get that one. And, 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 I'll, and then let's just be done with it, right? But I'm not gonna do that because, because I think there's value in all of them. I think there's value in reading multiple translations. In my personal study, when I look at a passage, to be honest, I, I typically start in the NIV simply because it's just what I know. It's just what I'm most familiar with. But then I'll look at the NLT, I'll look at the message, I'll look at the New American Standard or, or English Standard. I'll kind of look at some at different parts of the all on the spectrum to compare them to try to get the best understanding of what it is truly meant to mean. And so here's my advice. My advice would be, if you've been reading the same translation for year after year after year, get a new one this year. Try, try, try a different one. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, start exploring other versions on that. Notice, notice when you come upon maybe a verse you've read a million times, you, you've read over and over again that you have it memorized in, in your preferred translation, how in a different translation, it can be taken to a whole deeper level. God can, it can help, God, it, God can speak through you and to you about it and take it to a whole different, deeper way. So simply using multiple translations, maybe just pick two, three, four to kind of dabble in and explore a bit. It will positively impact uh, your studying of the Bible. So that's the second one, use multiple translations. Third one is begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. This was a phrase that was popularized maybe a decade or so ago by a, a secular author named Stephen Covey, but it applies here, I think, in reading the Bible. It says, you know, it's this, beginning with the end in mind when it comes to the Bible is really important because we can get lost in the details sometimes, right? We can get lost in Leviticus. You know, we can get lost in some of those, those sections, but it's important to remember where the story is all headed, have you, ever, have you ever read the last page of a book first? Have you ever done that? Have you ever been reading a novel and went to the last page first? My wife used to do this. I don't know if she still does it. You still do it? No, she used to do it. It drove me nuts. 
she would like, start, she loves to read and she would be, have a new book and I'd see she's on like the first chapter and I'd look over a few minutes later and I realized she's on the last page and she's a fast reader, she's not that fast. And I think, what are you doing? You're ruining the story, right? But, but she wanted to know where it was all headed because when you know where it's all headed, then as you read along, you see all these clues, right? Pointing to where the story's going. And I think that's really helpful when we think about the Bible, when we remember where it's all headed. It's kind of like when you watch a certain movie for the first time and you get to the end of the movie and it's like, whoa, I did not see that coming. That is a big surprise, right? Big, big shocker. Right? Well, if you go back and watch that same movie again, a second time, and you know what's gonna happen at the end, right? You see clues all throughout the movie that are hidden that you didn't notice the first time, right? In the story. Um, about a, a year or so ago, a gentleman in the church, um, he made for some of the staff this cool wooden plaque using dark wood and light wood. And, and, and I'm gonna put a picture up here of it in a second here. But before I do that, I wanna tell you this. At first, when I got this and I saw this, I, I didn't know what it was. Like I had no idea. It just looked like weird hieroglyphics or like Chinese characters or something to me. I totally didn't, I didn't see, didn't understand it at all. Uh, but eventually then I could see it. So why don't you go ahead and throw that first picture up. Let's see if you guys can see it. All right, so I want you to look at this. Do you, can you see what it says? Well, it might help if I flipped it up the right side. Turn it, go to the next picture, flip it over. Okay, now can you see what it says? It says Jesus. Now, when I saw this, some of you are thinking, I don't see Jesus at all. Uh, when I first saw this, I didn't see Jesus at all. I kept focusing on the light wood, on the light wood sticking out. But then, uh, some of you are like, oh, I got it now. <laughs> but if you look between the spaces of the white wood, the name Jesus appears, right? And now, this sits on my, de on my desk now, right in front of my computer. And so I see it every day. And now once I've seen it once, I can't ever unsee it. My eyes always go right to the spaces in between. And I, can, and I see it every time. Some of you, if you still can't see it, after the service, come see me. I'll show it to you in person and I'll explain it to you. Okay. Um, but here's, here's my point in this. Here's my point in this. Um, sometimes we're reading the Bible and things seem so unclear right? But when we know how it all ends, when we know how the, all it ends and we begin with the end in mind and talking about things, we, we understand it's really all about Jesus, right? When we, when we realize that the very end of the Bible, when it's talking about all things being made new and right, it's because of Jesus. When we read at the beginning of the New Testament, we read about the story of Jesus, when we read it in the Old Testament and we read all this stuff and we begin to realize all of the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Once we understand that, right, it helps us to, to realize that the, the, in the New Testament part of the Bible, Jesus is redefining and fulfilling all of the Old Testament. And it helps us to understand and interpret the Old Testament in light of the end of the story. And that's so important. That's so important. It helps us understand it correctly. And it's also important that what we, we pay attention at the bottom of your Bible, your bottom of your Bible app, there are all these little notes or things you can click on, right? That, that pull verses and, and, and draw connections between verses and different parts of the Bible to help us show how this is all connected together. 
And so if you're reading maybe the Bible for the first time, I always tell people, don't start at the beginning. I know that sounds counterintuitive. Don't start at the beginning. Start with the Gospels. Start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read about Jesus. Get to know Jesus. And once you understand that, then when you go back and you read Genesis and and all these other books in the Old Testament, it'll start to make sense because they're all pointing towards him. And I think that's super helpful for us to understand. Also, in two weeks, we're going to be starting a new series that I'm very much looking forward to, where we're going to be studying the very last book of the Bible, Revelation. We're going to look at Revelation for, the next, for, for a few weeks here, where I think it's going to be really helpful to begin this new year with the end in mind. And it's also one of the most misunderstood books of the Bible. So I'm looking forward to, we're looking forward to diving into that. But so that's the, that's the third thing. So begin with the end in mind. The fourth one is to look for the plain meaning. Look for the plain meaning. When you're reading the Bible, look for the most obvious plain meaning. Do you remember um, those ink blot tests that were popular like in the 1970s, right? Do you remember that? I think they were like a, a psychologist by the name like Rorschach. I can never say the name, right? Rorschach? Rorchester Sirosauce, right? Isn't that, that, actually, I'm gonna put him on the spot right now. So the other day, that reminds me of something. So my son came up to me, all serious, and he said, he said, hey, dad, um, do you know the three hardest things for uh, one person to tell another human being? Do you know what they are? I said, no. And he said, he said, he said, they're this, I'm sorry, I need help. And I thought, oh yeah, those are two good things. I wonder what the third thing is. And he gets this big grin on his face and he says, Worcestershire sauce. I thought, you little stinker, you're telling me a joke. I thought you were being serious. So, but I think is it Rorschach? Is that it? Rorschach? Somebody will, you'll tell me. Somebody will tell me how it's pronounced. So this guy, this psychologist um, who made these ink block tests, um, you want to throw up that picture of, of these things? Yeah, you remember, if you remember ever seeing this, you're supposed to look at the picture and describe what you see. Like, oh, it's a butterfly, right? Or it's a bat. Or it's like, hey, how'd you get a picture of my MRI from my hip replacement? Like, um, yeah, uh, you're supposed to like look at those and it's supposed to clue the psychologist into like your, your subconscious, right? And I have, I have no idea if these things worked or ever worked. I'm not a doctor or whatever. But when I see something like this, you know what I want to say every time? I look at that and I said, you want to know what that is? It's not a butterfly. It's not a bat. It's not a picture of your pelvis. It's just a bunch of random ink on a piece of paper. That's what it is. Let's just call it what it is, right? That, that's the most obvious explanation of what it is and what it means. And, and with the Bible, the Bible is not an ink blot test. It is not something that can, you can just make it mean whatever you feel like making it mean. It's not an ink blot test. It, you know, and when we come upon confusing passages or passages that are unclear, Derek Morphew again says this, it's always the plain and most obvious meaning of the text that is likely the correct one. Historically, there have been time periods in the church's history where we've gotten ourselves into a bit of trouble with this, where, where we've kind of, we've taken the Bible and we've tried to make it into like an allegory instead of it was just meant to be taken simply as is. You know, there were preachers hundreds of years ago that were taking scripture and they were, they were trying to like pull out this whole alternate secret meaning behind certain stories when simply it was just meant to say what it said. So I, I'll give you an example. So there's a story in the gospel of Luke where Jesus is becoming popular. He's, you know, he's been performing miracles 
And, um, and, and so there's a crowd like forming around him and crowd, people wanna see him. And there's this, this, this man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a tax collector and he's a little guy. Little guy, a wee little man was he, if you know the old song, okay? And he can't see Jesus because he's short. And so what does he do? He climbs up a tree. He climbs up a tree to get a better view of Jesus. And, and Jesus actually sees him in the tree and comes over to him. And it says in Luke, it says, he says to Zacchaeus, he says, Zacchaeus, come down. Zacchaeus, come down. Now there were preachers who took this passage and made this whole elaborate, like deep secret hidden meaning about it all. Like what Jesus is really trying to say to Zacchaeus is he needs to humble himself. He's really talking about, sorry, he needs to come down in here. And he's, he's a tax collector, he's a sinner. He needs to humble himself. He needs to let go of his pride. And all of that may have been true, but that wasn't what Jesus was saying. Jesus was just saying, come down. I wanna go to your house today. That's all it meant. And we try to make it into this secret knowledge. Like we all love learning new things and it makes it fun and exciting, but we have to be careful that we don't stretch things further than they were ever meant to mean. The Bible is not intended to be so that only a few people can have this secret knowledge about it. It's meant to be able to be understood by all of us, all of us. The New Testament was written in, the, in Koine Greek, which was the common everyday language on the street not classical Greek, which was the language that scholars wrote in and the elite people wrote in and stuff like that. It was meant to be for everybody. And so we need to remember that, uh, to look for the plain meaning. And when we come upon a passage or a verse that maybe isn't super clear, or it's hard to understand maybe what the meaning is, we should look for other similar passages or similar verses on the same topic in the Bible to bring clarity to it, because God never changes. God's character does not change. He is not going to contradict himself in one part of the Bible compared to the other part of the Bible. And so, so we, have to, we have to try to compare those things and, and try to understand what the most common plain meaning might be. And that, that really leads to the last tool that I wanna talk about today very briefly. And it's the fifth one, context matters. Context matters. Anyone can take a word, a sentence, a passage of scripture, pull it out of their Bible, write it down, post it on social media, put their opinion and make it mean about just, or make it say whatever they wanted to say, can't they? And that's, that's pretty dangerous. And that really goes back to that first tool of acknowledging our, our bias, that we don't wanna read into the Bible, but instead read out of it because context matters. Words find their meaning with the words around them in the sentence that they're a part of. Sentences find their meaning in the paragraph that they're a part of. Paragraphs find their meaning in the work of writing that they're a part of, right? Context matters. So take, for example, the word, the simple English word, the word ball, right? Depending on the words around it, a person could be talking about a round toy being tossed back and forth, or they could be talking about a formal dance, right? The, the, the difference is the words around it give it context. So in, for example, in Paul's letter to the Romans, he uses the word flesh a lot. If you're reading in the New American Standard Bible, he uses the word flesh a number of different times. And if, you, if we misunderstand it and pull it out of context, it could, it could be very confusing and actually do damage. So Romans 7, 18 says this, nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. What Paul is talking about here is he's talking about being a sinner when he talks about flesh. He's talking about his sinful nature. That, that he has. But in just two, two chapters later in Romans 9, 
Paul uses the word flesh again, but it says this, from whom is the Christ according to the flesh? Now, if we think that word flesh means, is meant to mean the same thing here as it did before, that's gonna be a problem because we would then interpret it as saying that Jesus has a sinful nature, that Jesus was a sinner. And that's a problem for us as Christians because we don't believe that. We believe Jesus was perfect and sinless. Otherwise, everything he did on that means nothing. But actually, what Paul is talking about here in that verse, Paul here, he's simply saying that Jesus, by using the word flesh here, was human, that he had flesh and blood, that he was of human descent. He wasn't calling him a sinner here. And so it's really important that we understand that the words have meaning in their context and we don't pull things out of context. In fact, if you read Romans all throughout in the New American Standard translation, he uses the word flesh to mean five different things in the in different parts of the book. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of importance in, in making sure that things are in context. We can't just pluck verses out and make them, uh, and take them out of context or was we can do some, some dangerous things. So, okay, I'm gonna kind of slam on the brakes here. This is like, to be continued. I know this is a little different than a normal sermon. Uh, we talked about five things today, acknowledging our bias, using multiple translations, beginning with the end in mind, looking for the plain meaning and remembering that context matters. Next week, we'll talk about five more in your packets. If you have one, you can bring them back next week. But I wanna wrap up with this. I'll invite up the worship team to come on up. I wanna end with the quote I started with, and that's this. A Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. There's, there's no cheat sheet there's no shortcut around it. If, if we truly want to grow closer to God, to our understanding of who he is and experience the positive impact of knowing him and, and seeing the transformation of our lives in that, then making regular time and regular investments and reading the Bible or listening to it on audio or however you prefer to do it is not really an option. It's not really an option. It's part of the normal necessary Christian life. And so I just want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you today. If the idea of the reading the Bible is new or intimidating to you, just, just try. Just get, a, get some sort of a plan, get some sort of a Bible. Just give it a shot this year. Make a commitment to try, right? And if you've been reading the Bible year after year after year, keep going. Don't stop doing it. Don't think I've, I've, I think I've figured it all out. You haven't. There's always more we can be learning about God and who he is and what he says about us. So, so, so may God meet with you in the pages of his love story to you. And may you in turn grow in your love for him and for the word of God. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand up? Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.